Well, nice to be with you again today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. And uh, I'll read from verse 1. So Exodus 3, reading from verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord. I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their suffering and I have come down to to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place, to the place of the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, and cry, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress, oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we'll end at verse 10 of Exodus chapter 3. Now just a prayer, please. Lord, what we uh, do not know, we pray that you will show us. What we do not have, we pray, Lord, that you will give us. And what we are not, we pray that you will make us for the glory of your Son. And it's in his strong name that we pray. Amen. Well, Acts 7 tells us that in Exodus chapter 3, so Acts chapter 7 records uh, a speech of Stephen's, and in that speech he tells us that in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was 80 years of age. So Moses had spent 40 years in the palaces of Egypt and he had spent 40 years then in the deserts of Midian. Uh, But just because you're 80, uh, we must not think that he is past his prime. 
According to Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 7, he lived until he was 120 years of age, Moses. So he hasn't, God hasn't finished with him at 80 years of age. He still has 40 more years to live as the leader of God's people. Yet it is staggering to think that God spent 80 years preparing this man for a 40 year ministry. It can take a long time to shape someone into the person that God wants them to be before God lets him loose in terms of leadership or in terms of ministry. It takes us a long time to learn how to be patient, doesn't it? It takes a long time to learn that God is not in the same kind of hurry that we're in. It takes a long time for us to learn humility, that we're nobodies and He is the somebody. And to realize that we're not nearly as important as we think we are. And it took Moses a long time to learn the lessons of humility. And if the truth were told, it takes us a long time to learn these lessons. And for the most part, it takes too long. We ought to be far quicker than we are at putting off the old and putting on the new and becoming a little bit more like Jesus. But the trouble is, some of us are unyielding in the hands of God. And we resist being changed for the better by the Holy Spirit. We're happy to stay as we are. We want to stay as we are. And the truth is, it's easy to get stuck in the Christian life. To plateau. But we must keep changing into the image of Jesus. We must continue to be pliable in the hands of this God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We must listen to God's voice week by week, day by day. And we must apply what God says to us through his word to our lives ruthlessly as we endeavor to become more like Jesus. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, 40 years of preparation are almost over. And the time is fast approaching for Moses to enter his life's work. So let's think for a few minutes about the first 10 verses of this chapter. And uh, if the Lord spares us, we'll have a chance to look at the remaining verses of the chapter on some other occasion. It's interesting that all of this took place, this particular incident that we're going to look at today took place at Mount Sinai or in the region of Mount Horeb. And it seems to be two names for the same place in scripture. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai and Mount Sinai is Mount Horeb. Whether they were different peaks in the same range, I don't know. But uh, certainly as far as the Bible is concerned, they refer refer to the same geographical location. Mountains um, have a very special place uh, in, in the lives of certain individuals in scripture and certainly in the life of Moses because it was on Mount Sinai that God called him it was on Mount Sinai that God gave him the law remember in Exodus 20 It was on Mount Nebo that God took him and showed him uh, the the land of Israel that he was taking these people into, although Moses never actually got there himself. 
It was on the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses came back to meet with Jesus. And so Moses features significantly in the life of Moses. Interesting uh, study mountains, uh, rather uh, very interesting study sometime at some of the things that take place on mountains. But there is something about mountains, isn't there? That you walk in the mountains and it somehow reminds you of the greatness of God as you're confronted with this breathtaking landscape and these rugged rocks and somehow it speaks eternity into your heart and soul and that was surely true of Moses. Well I want to lift three things out of this text for you today. I want us to think a little bit about the miracle that Moses witnessed Then I want us to think about the lessons that Moses learned. And then I want us to think a little bit about the task uh, to which Moses was called. So those are the three areas I'm going to try and camp on. The miracle, the lessons, and if you like the task or if you even like the ministry that he was given. So first of all, the miracle that Moses uh, witnessed. So Moses was carrying on in the humdrum of life. There's no indication that he was feeling particularly spiritual. The day that he got up in Exodus chapter 3, the day that he saw the burning bush, it was just another ordinary, ordinary day, sitting with his sheep, scanning the wilderness, looking for pasture. A short distance away from him, however, this bush, this tree, uh, bursts into flames. Now, I've seen some pictures of this in churches and stained glass windows, and you think it was a blast from a from you know from some sort of alien rocket ship that just cons- like a consumed the ground in the bush. And it, it was hardly unlike that. It was just an ordinary bush that had burst into flames as a result of the heat of the desert sun. And it would appear that it was quite a common feature for a bush to burn into fra- flames. That wasn't a miracle. In itself to see a bush on fire what was the miracle then the miracle was that the bush didn't burn away that was the miracle it just kept burning and burning and burning and I grew up on a farm and sometimes in, in the summer we would light twin bushes and it was a great blaze for a minute or two and then they were just gone in a few moments but this bush was different it kept burning and, and burning and burning so Moses goes to examine this bush a little bit closer and uh, when he got there he discovered that God wanted to speak to him. So, so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Now a couple of things about this, the miracle that he witnessed. I want you to think first of all about just the solitariness of his experience. So God comes to meet with him in the middle of a desert. He may have been tempted to think that God had forgotten all about him in the middle of, his des- of this desert. He may have felt incredibly lonely in the middle of this desert. He may have felt that he had managed to get away from Egypt. And maybe even in his heart he felt that he had managed to get away from God. In this lonely desert with nothing but sand and sunshine. It was a lonely place with a few grazing sheep. But out there in the wilderness... Out there in the desert, he soon discovered that he wasn't alone. He had company. And the company was the company of the living God. 
That was the company that he had in the middle of this desert. When he, when he thought that there was no one else around, he discovered that God was around. No matter where you find yourself, even if it's in the middle of a desert, you will never ever be alone. For in your wilderness you will have company. And that company will be the God of heaven. Wherever you go this week, wherever you find yourself, God will be there. He will be the silent listener to every conversation that you have. When you think there's no one else listening, God is listening. And uh, he will be the unseen guest in every company. Even though you don't see him, God will always be there. Because that's the kind of God he is. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all of the time. And Moses discovers in the loneliness of this desert. He's not alone. Because God is with him. So the solitariness. The second thing that struck me about um, this miracle that he experienced. Was the sense of surprise. Moses was aware that this kind of thing could happen. It was part of life in the desert. But I doubt that it was something that happened every single day of life. I think it was a freak thing. I think it was a unique thing. I think it was the kind of thing that he would would have gone home and told his wife or maybe his father-in-law about. You wouldn't believe what I saw today. A bush went on fire. It wasn't something that just happened every single day. But the bush wouldn't stop burning. And so Moses investigates the bush. And as he looks into the bush, suddenly God speaks to him from the middle of this bush. Sometimes God speaks to us in unusual circumstances, doesn't he? The unusual circumstances of life. Sometimes things happen because God wants to get our attention. But for the most part, people shrug it off and carry on with their lives. But Moses, here he is, and, and he's surprised that this bush doesn't stop burning. And he goes over, and suddenly, in these unusual circumstances, God speaks to him. I, I wonder if God's been speaking to you through your circumstances. Maybe your unusual circumstances. Has God been endeavoring to get your attention? To get you to stop and listen. Has God been speaking to you about becoming a Christian? Through life circumstances. Wanting you to yield your life to Christ. And invite him to change you. And to save you. And to forgive you. And and to start sending you in a new direction. Is that what God has been speaking to you about? But in the middle of it all. Have you sensed that God has been trying to get your attention? Don't shrug it off. That's my advice. Don't just shrug it off and walk away. Listen to what God says. And do what he, he asks you to do. Well, the third thing that strikes me about this miracle is just the suddenness of it. Moses, I'm sure, never thought anything significant would happen that particular day. God did not send an angel at breakfast time and say, today is going to be a wonderful day. Amazing things are going to unfold today. I'm sure he got up and felt it would just be another day in the desert. Just another bush to succumb to the heat of the sun. But although this had started as an ordinary day, it would not end as an ordinary day. It would end as a day that he would never ever forget. 
And it reminds me how suddenly that the Lord can turn our lives around. It reminds me that big doors often swing on small hinges. A single day can make an amazing difference in all of our lives. This makes life exciting. God can do amazing things in our ordinary days and who knows what he will bring us into contact with tomorrow or the next day or before we meet again next week. Who knows what he will do through our ordinary witness. The lives that he could break into as a consequence of us being bold enough to share Jesus at work this week. Maybe God could use us to do something exciting, like change someone. The the exciting thing about this story is that God often acts suddenly. And who knows what changes God will bring about uh, through our days and through our weeks. So there it is, the miracle. He sees this bush, it's on fire, he goes over and suddenly God starts to speak to him from the middle of this bush. Well, the second thing that I want you to think about is just the lessons that he learned as he listened and observed and as he engaged with the voice of God. God has some things to teach him and I want us to pick up on them. So as he studies this tree, a voice calls out to him repeatedly, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds by saying, here I am. He didn't run for his life. He said, here I am. And I want you to think about a couple of things with me. First of all, there's lessons about God's holiness. So the Lord appears to Moses in the form of an angel, it would appear, in the midst of this bush. And this angel speaks to Moses from the middle of this bush. And it's as if this angel's clothes are fire. It's as if he's he's dressed in fire. God is often associated with fire in the Bible. When he appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 17, he appeared in the form of a burning, smoking oven. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 tells us that our God is a consuming fire. God is often associated with fire. And I think the reason for that is because he's a God of blazing purity. And because he's a God of blazing purity, Moses has to take his shoes off. Because the ground that he is standing on is holy ground. The ground had become holy because God had manifest his presence there. That's why the ground was holy. And anything that comes into contact with God becomes set apart for him. It becomes sanctified by him. Now it's hard to understand the full significance of why Moses was asked to remove his sandals. Some have suggested that his sandal would have been dusty and dirty and associated with the earth. And so because God's presence is a presence of cleanness and purity, he needed to take his sandals off. I'm less convinced by that because I suspect his feet were just as dirty and dusty as his sandals. I think it's a mark of respect for the one whose presence he was in. Now, 
I haven't ever really, I've only been in one mosque and that's on the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. I've never really been into any other mosques. But I was outside a mosque in Kenya and uh, a group of men got around me and invited me to come in. And of course they told me that I couldn't come in unless I would confess certain things. But they wanted me to confess these things and come in and I told them that I couldn't. I believed there was only one God and his name was Yahweh and his son Jesus Christ. And they didn't like that very much, to be honest. Um, But what I didn't notice about that mosque was that outside it there were just rows and rows of shoes. Because the people going in to worship the God that was worshipped in that mosque felt that they should take their shoes off as a mark of respect. And I I think that... uh, Moses is being asked to take his shoes off as a mark of respect. Moses is going in is is going to face the uh, mighty Egyptian Pharaoh. He is going to stand before the mighty Egyptian Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh lets God's people go. But before he will have the courage to do that, he needs to have a sense of the God who has sent him. And this is no ordinary God. This is a God of blazing purity, a God of fire that's sending him back to Egypt. Now, I am all for the intimacy that we enjoy with the Lord, all for it. But I fear that we've brought God down to a very manageable level. But this God who is calling us down the road of faith and this God who is calling us into whatever he is calling us, some form of Christian service in this church or elsewhere is a God of blazing purity. And if we feared the face of God, if we really feared the face of God, we wouldn't fear the face of anyone else. And that's why I think Moses has been given a glimpse of the holiness and the purity, the blazing purity, the frightening purity of God. That's why he's been asked to take off his sandals. Because this God is like no one he has ever met before. None of the dignitaries in Egypt could ever compare to the purity and the holiness of this God who is about to speak to him. The second thing that he learns is not only about God's holiness, but he learns about God's faithfulness. I am the God of your father, Jethro. Um, I, I'm uh, your father-in-law, Jethro, and, and your own father, Amram. I am his God. And then he goes on to say, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God that went to Ur of the Chaldees and tapped that moon worshipper on the shoulder and said, I want you to step out on a journey of faith with me. I'm going to take you to a land that I'll yet show you. I'm not telling you the name of it now, but I'll show you when you get there. I'm I'm the God that called Abraham. I'm the God that brought him safely across the desert to a land, to the land that I promised him. I'm the God that protected this man Abraham from his hostile Canaanite neighbors. I'm the God who preserved him and forgave him when he fell into sin and lied about the identity of his wife. I'm the God who promised him descendants. And that I would give him a son even though both he and his wife were well beyond the age of being able to have children. I'm the God of Abraham, Moses. And I'm also the God of Isaac. The 
God who fulfilled his promise to Isaac to make him a great nation. The God who answered his prayer for Rebekah and gave them twins. And I'm the God of Jacob. The God who gave Jacob twelve sons. So that there would be twelve families in Israel. I'm the God that protected him from his brother Esau. I'm the God who brought Jacob to Egypt to be with his son Joseph. I'm I'm the God who promised to Jacob that I would bring my people out of Egypt and back to Canaan. Moses, I am the faithful promise-keeping God. I am the covenant-making, promise-keeping, truth-telling God. That's who I am, Moses. That's who's speaking to you. What a great starting point for Moses, don't you think? The God who proved faithful and gracious in the lives of his ancestors is the God who is calling him and would remain faithful to him. And maybe as you look into this week ahead and wonder what it holds for you and wonder how you will cope, maybe as you think about your future you wonder how, it will cope, how you will cope. I want to tell you that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is, is your God if you're a Christian. And the faithfulness that he extended to them is the faithfulness that he will extend to you. God will never fail you. He will be utterly faithful. He has been faithful to his servants of old and he will continue to be faithful to his servants in the present. The third thing that strikes me about the lessons is that he learned that God has been attentive all this time, 80 years. God has been listening. At the end of chapter 2 it makes it clear that the Hebrews were weary of their cruelty. The cruelty that they suffered at the hands of the Egyptians. They were baking bricks in the, in, in, under the heat of the Egyptian sun and building cities for the Egyptians. They, they were throwing their baby boys into the river Nile because Pharaoh became afraid of them. And they grew weary of these taskmasters whipping them and forcing them into labor. And here we're told in this passage that they they cried out for God and that God heard their cries. He saw their affliction, we're told in this passage. Our prayers don't go unheard by heaven. Our difficult circumstances don't go unnoticed by heaven. He hears the cry of his people and he sees the suffering of his children. He heard the crack of those Egyptian whips. He had been listening to the sobs of his people as they lay in their beds bleeding with those wounds. He was aware of the tiredness that they felt as they tramped the mud baths and manufactured those clay bricks. He could see the pain of the mothers and he heard the pain and he knew all about the pain of the mothers as they threw their babies into the river Nile. And sometimes you might be tempted to think that God is unaware of your circumstances. But God knows and God cares and God loves more than you will ever know. Sometimes we wonder if God hears our cries. There seems to be little by way of answer. But God is listening, always listening. And he's always listening to our, he is always aware of our struggles. And before we even get around to praying for help, we need God, we need to know that God is busy preparing our answer.
Well, lastly then, we've got the ministry that Moses was given. Two things about that. And then we'll be through for this morning. The, the, the ministry or the task that Moses was being called to. First of all, just think with me about the person that God is calling. Moses had made some terrible mistakes and it had taken him a long time to prove that he had got over those mistakes. Forty years had passed before he is now ready to go back to where he left off. Forty years passed before God was prepared to entrust him with his life's work. But what I want you to notice is that although it took him time, he did get there. He had killed someone with his bare hands. And buried them in the sand. And then he ran into the desert of Midian to get away from the Egyptian Pharaoh. Now here he is, 40 years later, and God feels that he's now ready to pick up where he left off. And to uh, return to the task that he thought that he would have filled so many years earlier. Sometimes when people make mistakes they are written off forever. But not with God. Sometimes the greatest saints are people who have rose, risen out of failure to become something for God. Acts chapter 13, I was going through this uh, on Monday night some weeks ago, and, and it reminded me of this whole story of John Mark. Remember John Mark? He went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missions trip. And they travelled across Cyprus and then they went up to Perga. And the boat stopped at Perga and John Mark decided there and then, I'm going back to Jerusalem. You guys can go on with this mission stuff if you like, but I never signed up for this kind of hardship. And back he went to Jerusalem. And remember when Paul and Barnabas were going on their second missionary journey? Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark with me. And Paul said, no way. He let us down on the first trip. There's no way we're going to trust him with another trip. And the difference of opinion was so sharp that they went in two separate occasions. And and, uh, Paul hooked up with Silas and went off. And Barnabas took John Mark and went went away to um, Cyprus. But, But at the end of Paul's ministry... Uh, He says, bring John Mark, he says, because he's useful to me and useful to my ministry. And this boy, although he had got off to a bad start, he had proved himself to be useful in the end. And here's Moses, he had made some horrific mistakes, but it didn't have to define him forever. He could experience God's forgiveness. And he could experience God's transforming grace. And he could get up and become something for God. And it took him 40 years to do that. But he did did it and he got there. And so can you. No matter where you are. No matter what your circumstances are. Those circumstances don't have to define you forever. By God's grace you can change and become the person that God wants you to become. Just like Moses. Well the second thing is the task. At the end of verse 10, God told Moses that he was going to send him to Pharaoh in order to deliver his people. It was a frightening task, a daunting task. But that was the task that God had for him. This was the position, this was the post that he wanted Moses to fill. And all over the world, there are posts that need filled in the work of God. All over the world. Maybe he wants you to fill some post for him. We'll look a little bit at Moses' post next time. But maybe he wants you to become a messenger 
Think about this to some tribe that will never hear the gospel unless you go and tell them. Maybe he wants you to become a teacher to missionary children. Or a project manager on some mission field development. Maybe he wants you to invest your life in the young people of this church. Maybe he wants you to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe he wants you to be involved in some other capacity of the work. To serve in the coffee shop. Or in the men's ministry. Or in the women's ministry. Or in the outreach. But I believe with all my heart that God has got a role for all of us. Every single one of us. See, church is not like a bus run. Where you've got a driver and a conductor. And the conductor goes up and lifts the money. And everyone else is just passengers. That's not how church works. All of us have got gifts to be used in ministry. All of us have got talents that God wants us to employ in the work of his kingdom. So what's your role? Moses' role was to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out. You'll not have to go back to Egypt, but God wants you to do something. Surely something. William Perkins in the 16th century said... On one occasion he said, when it comes to pleasing God, there is no difference between washing dishes and preaching the gospel. Think about that. C.S. Lewis once said, when Jesus comes again in judgment, it will not matter whether we are saving the world from some great evil or feeding pigs. All that matters is that we are found at our post taking care of our God-appointed duties. That's what God wants for us. That we'll be at our post, that we'll be faithful, and that we'll be doing whatever it is God wants us to do. So, I ask you as I close this morning, do you know what God wants you to do? What's your ministry? What's your work? Is, is, is your role to witness in, in your place of employment? God wants us to do something. We're not just passengers on the bus. Every single one of... The, 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 the church is never described as a bus run in the Bible. It's described as a harvest field. And, and uh, God, the work of God's kingdom is described in all kinds of other ways which, uh, which involves usefulness and produ- productivity. Things like the body. And uh, I hope that you know what your uh, role is and that you're fulfilling it with all your might. So we learned three things this morning. At least we thought about three things. Whether we learned anything is uh, for you to decide. We learned three things. We thought a a, a little bit about the miracle. An ordinary day, a humdrum bush bursting into flames. But in the suddenness, God speaks to him. Is God speaking to you? Trying to get your attention, wants you to listen? What is God saying to you? Does God want you to become a Christian? We thought a little bit about the lessons that he learned. Take your shoes off, Moses. Because I'm no ordinary Egyptian pharaoh. I'm the God of blazing purity. Take your shoes off. And uh, bow down and worship. Because this is the great God of heaven that has come to speak to you. And then finally we thought a little bit about the task. Moses, 40 years ago, you ran for your life into the desert of Midian. I want you to pick up where you left off. Go back and lead my people into freedom. What is it that God wants you to do? And are you prepared 
to start doing it for his glory. Thank you so much.